Uh, if you missed last week, you missed the big announcement. I am no longer the pastor of Glad Tidings Church. Uh-huh. I'm the pastor of Good News Church. Okay. Yeah, we got that, right? You know, um, change is kind of funny. I heard somebody once say that the only person that likes change uh, is a baby with a wet diaper. You know, that's that might be true. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, we're all adjusting to a lot of changes going on. And so before we get into the message, I want to just just talk. Let's just talk about the changes just for a little bit. Um, you might find this interesting, but uh, I've been thinking about the, the name Glad Tidings and Good News Church for a long time. But I really started thinking and praying about it seriously about eight months ago. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, I usually don't make decisions on the spot, just so you know. Uh, and so about four months ago, I took it to our staff and I said, Guys, here's here's what I believe God's leading us to do, and here's why. And when they first heard the idea of changing our name, every it, about half of our team was like, "Oh no, we can't do that." Did you feel that way? Be honest. Come on, we can't do that, right? The little nervous, right? And then I began to share with them why changing the name and changing it to Good News Church, and they started to warm up to the idea. Some of you need to warm up today. It's a little chilly out there, right? So you warm up to this idea of this name change, and uh, and some of them said, you know what? I think I could actually court that name for a while, but I'm not sure I'm ready to get married to it yet. You know what I mean? So others of them were like, man, let's elope. Let's do it right now. You know. Uh, and so everybody processes change a little bit differently. Some people are like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. And they're more risk takers. Other people are like, but I, I love that name. And it's been the name forever and ever. Amen. Um, and so when I helped them understand the why that helped. Uh, and so when you're talking to people and you say, hey, we're no longer glad tidings. We're good news church. And people ask, well, why is that? Simply tell them, you know, our old name, glad tidings. It meant good news. But it wasn't good news for a lot of people because they just didn't know what it meant. Uh, it's an old English word, old fashioned English word. Um, and so we're just translating it into modern day English. Um, how many of you believe that we should remove barriers and build bridges to reach the unreached and the unchurched in Omaha, Nebraska? Uh, and I, I'm of the conviction, man, if it means we have to change a name to do that or if that will help us, man, let's do it. Whatever it takes so that Jesus is worshiped by every people group uh, living among us. Um, now, um, uh, Glad Tidings has been around for a long time, 82 years. And we have someone in our congregation, he's a friend of mine, uh, Lawrence Riley. I think he's been part of the church for like 71 years, like literally 71 years. And Lawrence, are you here this morning in the service? I think he usually comes to the last one. But um, yeah, so he started with downtown church, man. He was just this little boy, you know. And uh, so all he knows is, is glad tidings. And some of you, that's that's been the case. It's like, man, I grew up here. I got I, I was born in this church and born again in this church. I was baptized here. I got married here. We started having family here. Our family can relate to that. We've been here 21 years now and our kids, they've never been to another church. We have never gone church hopping. Shopping, hopping. We've never done. All they know is glad tidings. They were almost born here, you know, born again here and baptized and grew up in Rangers and Impact and JBQ and m and And I mean, you know, this is all they know. It's home. It's family. And, and my prayer is that as we move forward, this becomes home and family and launching ground for other generations to come. 
I want to be 10, 20, 30 years from now looking back at the day we changed our name and go, God, thank God we did that. More people now are coming into the kingdom. More people are worshiping Jesus because of it. Um, Let's talk about why change is necessary for just a few moments. Um, It's necessary not just for churches, but for every one of us. And the reason why change is is necessary in our lives is, is because simply this, Jesus is worthy. Somebody say, Jesus is worthy. He's worthy to be worshiped. He's worthy to be worshiped by every unreached person and every unchurched person. Jesus is worthy to be worshiped. Therefore, we must change. Okay. We've always said, I want to be the book of Acts kind of church. But the book of Acts kind of church had some problems. They became that gathering church. They wanted to stay in Jerusalem. And and God says, no, you can't stay here. You've got to go, right? They were getting drunk during communion. How many of you know that's a problem? We don't have that problem here. All right. We serve non-alcoholic beverages during our communion. All right. They were taking each other to court. And get this, guys, listen in. They were making grown men get circumcised to be saved. How many of you know that's wrong? (laughs) I am so glad they embraced change. And the men said, amen. Amen. Come on, all you Gentiles say amen. amen. Right. I mean, we were grafted in. Thank God we weren't circumcised in. You know, I mean, that's the way. And, you know, they had to make these changes. And thank God for Acts chapter 15 that dealt with some of this stuff. And they said, we got to change this. At one point, they said, we got to change our name. Yeah, they changed their name. They were called followers of the way. And then when they got to Antioch, they said, no, we've got a new name. We got to change this. We're Christians. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. First church went through a lot of changes. Why? Because Jesus is worthy to be worshipped among the nations. And we will listen. Here's what you need to know. If you're uneasy about change, know this. There are some things that will never change. God said, I will never change. I'm the same yesterday, today and forever. God's word will never change. God's mission will never change. But everyone and everything else will change. Until every knee Bows in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Until every knee bows and every tongue confesses, everything and everyone will change. Until we get back to the original order of creation, where mankind, Adam and Eve, were given the responsibility to fill the earth, to subdue it with the kingdom of God, the rule and reign, and the worship of God, until we get to that place again. Everyone and everything will change. And you have to learn to embrace. Somebody say embrace. Embrace the uncertainty that comes with change. If you can't embrace the uncertainty that comes with change, you cannot embrace faith. If you cannot embrace the uncertainty of change, you cannot embrace faith. Faith and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the certainty. The writer of Hebrews said, faith is the certainty of things hoped for. Some of you, man, I just so uncertain about things. And I want to say to you, grow up in your faith. Okay. 
Let's grow up in our faith. So things change and things get uncertain. And sometimes we just have to trust God in the change. We've got a big, big mission to accomplish and a big vision to do it. And last week I laid out six strategies and, oh my goodness, I'm nervous about it. Right? I'm nervous about some of those things, but I know God is talking to us. And so we can, we can run from those things that are uncertain or we can run to those things that are certain and say, God, by faith. Are you with me? I want to be one of the two spies that came back after exploring the promised land and said, God has given us this land. Let's go possess it. I don't want to be one of the ten that shrinks back. I don't want to wander in the desert. Okay, it wasn't in my notes. When does change happen? Think about your own life. When does change happen in your own life? I'll tell you when it happens. It happens when something bothers you and it bothers you enough you're going to do something about it. And until something bothers you, you will not change. It's a new year. It's a new day. Some of you have New Year's revelations, revolutions, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but there are things, some things in your life that bother you and you're like, you know what? This is the year they're going to change. Why? Because it bothers you. It bothers you. You have this cringe inside of you when you think about it. And some of you are like, man, I'm going to change the way I eat. I'm going to change the way I spend my time. I'm going to change the way I spend my money. Right? (laughs) Something's going to change. And it's going to change. And listen, when it bothers you and it bothers you enough, it will change. The reason why some people never change is because nothing ever bothers them. The reason why churches get stuck in Jerusalem is because nothing ever bothers them. I wake every, up every morning and there's things that bother me. And that's why I get up and I do. Because I'm bothered by things. I have this, this cringe going on. And, and for some, the, the cringe button is broken. Right? Let me ask you this question. Think about this. You should write this down. This is great small group material. Small group leaders, what bothers you? Ask your members, what bothers you? And does it bother you enough to do something about it? Some of you are like, well, human trafficking bothers me. What are you doing about it? Right? My neighbor, uh, you know, he's just, he's a crazy alcoholic. It bothers me. He needs to be a worshiper of Jesus. What are you doing about it? What bothers you? And if nothing bothers you, nothing would change. All right. Am I bothered? Am I hot and bothered this morning? What bothers you? And can I tell you what bothers you? It could be that God is speaking to you through what bothers you. It bothers me that people don't know what our name means. So we changed it. It bothers me that our discipleship process, it builds us up, but it doesn't send us out. So we changed it and we added go to our process. It bothers me that we're not making disciples of our young adults. So we changed it. And we're adding a young adult ministry. It bothers me that the many of you were born to lead. You've got leader all over you. But you've not been developed to lead. You've not been sent out to lead. And, and so we're going to change that. And we're starting a leadership development process here. Because God's called you to lead. All the leaders say amen. amen. And it bothers me that over 2 billion people have not heard the name of Jesus and do not worship the name of Jesus. And it bothers me enough to do something about it. So we're making some changes around here. And we're building some strategic partnerships. 
around the world and right here in Omaha, Nebraska. And I'm going to tell you about one in just a minute. See, what bothers God should bother us. Some of you need to get some anger. You need to get some holy anger going on. You need to to find some cords and make a whip out of it. Jesus was bothered. One day he walked into the temple and it turned into this marketplace and money exchangers and animals everywhere. And the nations couldn't come and pray. And he said, that bothers me because my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. It bothered him. He did something about it. I love holy anger. Not all my anger is holy. What angers you? What God anger do you have? What bothers you? What causes you to cringe? Could be God speaking through you. Last week I answered three questions. What is God leading us to do? Why is he leading us to do it? And how are we going to do it? What is God calling us to do? He's calling us to go. Somebody say go. He's calling us to go and multiply his mission to the unreached and the unchurched peoples of our world. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. He's worthy to be worshipped by every nation. How are we going to do that? Six strategic initiatives I laid out last week. One of those was we are changing uh, or excuse me, we are adding a, a go step to our process, to our transformation process. We're adding go. We're adding go because Jesus said, go make disciples. He said, go into the highways and the byways, compel them to come in. Go, I'm sending you. And so we're adding this fourth step, go. So we connect, we grow and we serve. Why? So we can go. We don't do that. We don't connect, grow and serve here at Glad Tidings so we can stay and we're happy. And I said Glad Tidings. I meant Good News Church. (laughs) You just remind me when I say Glad Tidings, you say, you're not the pastor of Glad Tidings anymore. Okay, help me. Somebody say help them. So we launched Go. Because it's time for us to go and multiply. And the reason we connect and we grow and we serve on ministry teams is so we can go. All right. So our go step will include all of our global mission efforts. Everything that has to do with global mission falls under go. Everything that has to do with church multiplication has to do with go. It all fits under that fourth step of our process. So we will go to the unchurched in Omaha and we will go to the unreached among the nations. All right. Anything to do with global mission and church multiplication is part of go now. Um, The third Sunday, we're going to do something here. Another change. Get ready. All right. Hope that caffeine's working this morning. All right. Another change. We are changing the third Sunday of the month. It used to be called Mission Sunday. We've called it that for about 15 years. We're now calling it Go Sunday. Go Sunday. Because we're not just going global We're going here in Omaha as well. And so our Go Sunday, we're going to celebrate how we're going to the nations, how we're going to Omaha, how we're giving. We're going to celebrate on Go Sunday. And next Sunday is our first Go Sunday. So here we go. Here we go. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to have what's called Go Link. So just like we have Group Link and Team Link, now we have Grow Link or Go Link, excuse me. And GoLink is about linking you up with opportunities to go and getting you on some of our Go teams. What are Go teams? Well, any team that has to do with Go is now a Go team. Now, isn't that brilliant? I mean, somebody, somebody tell me that's just brilliant. 
Go Sunday, go link, go teams. Let's go. All right, I'm with you, Pastor. Okay, so next Sunday, go. Every third Sunday, we're going to celebrate, go. We're going to give to go. We're going to go. Every third Sunday of the month. No longer Mission Sunday, it's Go Sunday. Somebody say go. All right, next Sunday, we are going to have go cards. This just has a theme to it. And these go cards are going to have all these go opportunities. All right, we've got opportunities, open door mission. In fact, I think our M8 students yesterday went and they worked with the open door mission. I heard Omaha. So go opportunities, also some go teams that we're starting here at the church to reach our community. So that's next week. And by the way, if you want to go to mygoodnews.church, mygoodnews.church, you can see those go opportunities right now. Who needs an insert when you've got mygoodnews.church, right? So it's all in there. All right. So are you hungry for the word? All right. We're going to get to the word here. All right. So we've answered the question, what is God saying? Um, Why are we doing this? How are we doing this? The question that we have yet to answer is who? Somebody say who? Who will go? Who will go? God's question from the beginning of time has always been, who will go for us? Who will take this mission? Who will take this good news and spread it all throughout the earth? Who will do this? Who will take this good news? One of you, one of you must go. And that leads me to one of my favorite movies. You've got to see this scene. All right, let's watch it. You have only one choice. The ring must be destroyed. And what are we waiting for? The ring cannot be destroyed, Gimli, son of Gloin any craft that we here possess. The ring was made in the fires of Mount Doom. Only there can it be unmade. It must be taken deep into Mordor and cast back into the fiery chasm from whence it came. One of you must do this. One does not simply walk into Mordor. Its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs. There is evil there that does not sleep. And the great eye is ever watchful. It is a barren wasteland, riddled with fire and ash and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. Not with 10,000 men could you do this. It is folly. Have you heard nothing Lord Elrond has said? The ring must be destroyed. And I suppose you think you're the one to do it. And if we fail, what then? What happens when Sauron takes back what is his? I will be dead before I see the ring in the hands of an elf. So No one trusts an elf. Oh, 
I will take the ring to Mordor. possible to separate you even when he is summoned to a secret council and you are not. Oi! We're coming too! We'll have to send us all tied up in a sack to stop it. Anyway, you need people of intelligence on this sort of mission. Quest. Thank you. Well, that rules you out, Nick. I'm companion. You shall be the fellowship of the ring. Right. Where are we going? Okay, yeah, we can go Frodo. Yes. Who will take it? Who will take this good news to the nations? Somebody has to stand up and say, I will take the message. I will take this good news. Somebody had to accomplish the mission. And can I tell you, man, from the beginning of time, God has been asking the question, who will go for us? Who will go for us? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 1. Isaiah 6, verse 1. I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version today. And this is uh, the prophet Isaiah. He's writing this. Um, he's explaining what he has seen. And he says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two they covered, excuse me, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim to me having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin forgiven. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? 
Then I said, here am I, send me. Who will go for us? It's the question that God has been asking from the beginning of creation. And like Frodo, Isaiah stood up and he said, I will go for you. Here am I, send me. No one made Isaiah do it. In fact, no one called him. No one said, this is your calling in life, Isaiah. He just heard God ask a very powerful question. God didn't say, Isaiah, I'm sending you. He said, who will go for us? And I find it fascinating that God didn't say to Isaiah, who will go for them? He said, who will go for us? Isaiah went for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He had a vision of God. He said, my eyes have seen the King of glory. And he went for the holy, holy, holy God, not the people of unclean lips. Who will go for us? Isaiah went not because the need was great. He went because God was great. Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, I will go for you. And God said, you will go and you will speak and they will reject you and they will reject me. But it didn't matter to Isaiah because he didn't go for them. He went for God. Jonah. He went to Nineveh eventually. He didn't go to Nineveh for Nineveh. He went to Nineveh for God. He had an encounter with God. Because he heard God say, who will go for us? Let's make our going about the worship of Jesus and not the needs of man. We will never, ever meet all the needs of humanity. All the humanitarian needs. We'll never meet them all. Right? Let's make our going and our evangelism efforts about the us of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that even if we are rejected and God is not worshipped by those we go to, we still go because Jesus is worthy of our going. Today we are launching a new outreach ministry to the Muslims living in the Omaha metro area. And we are calling this new ministry that we're launching good news for Ishmael. Good news for Ishmael. You've heard that name before, haven't you? Abraham. He had a number of... Sons and daughters, a lot of them. But the two that we remember most are Ishmael and Isaac. You see, God had called Abraham to go. He called Abraham to go and to bless the nations. And he said, the way you're going to be a blessing to the nations is through the promised son. Abraham and Sarah were were old in years. They were not able to have children. And God promised you will have a son. And from that son will be born a savior. His name is Jesus. And the years clicked by, clicked by, right? And Sarah said, I'm getting old. I'm not getting any younger. And she said, Abraham, you need to go have sexual relations with my servant, my maidservant, Hagar. So that we can carry on our family name. And so Abraham did that. And he and uh, from Hagar was born Ishmael. Ishmael. And the um, the um, the Arab world 
came from Ishmael. And the, Muslim, the, the, the uh, Islam religion was, bir- was birthed and born in the Arab world. And so when we say good news for Ishmael, we're saying good news for Muslims. But there was another son born of Abraham and Sarah, and it was the promised son. And his name was what? Isaac. Right. And God said, he's the son. He's the one that the promise, the blessing will come through. That's where Jesus is going to come from the lineage of your son, Isaac. Right. But Abraham, a good father that he was, he said, but God, what about my other son? What about Ishmael? I love my son Ishmael, too. And God said, I will, in fact, bless Ishmael and he will become a great nation. I will, in fact, bless Ishmael. And can I tell you, God wants to bless Ishmael today and he's still doing it through Isaac. It bothers me. It bothers me that Muslims living in Omaha, Nebraska are not worshiping Jesus. It bothers me. So we're going to do something about it. We're starting a ministry called Good News for Ishmael. About six months ago, uh, I had the opportunity to spend three days with my good friend Majid. Majid, why don't you make your way up here? Majid and his wife, Sarah. uh, Don't get mixed up with Abraham and Sarah. She's not that old. And uh, we spent three days together in Springfield, Missouri. We were meeting with Dick Brogdon and other missionologists, if you will, missionologists. And we were saying, how can we reach the Muslims living in Omaha, Nebraska? Uh, and we just started spitballing, if you will, what that could look like. And, um, and this is what became of it. Uh, good news for Ishmael. We are going to, uh, to reach the Arabic-speaking and the English-speaking Muslims living in our city. We're launching a brand new ministry today. I've asked Majid to direct this ministry. He's going to, he's going to train us. He's going to recruit GO teams. And we're going to go and we're going to reach them uh, here in Omaha, Nebraska. And God willing, if necessary, we will plant the first Arabic-speaking church in Omaha, Nebraska. If we need to do it, we're going to do it. But we're starting with this ministry. We're starting with this ministry. And God has uniquely prepared Majid and brought him here all the way from North Sudan. Come on. Can I hear a shout out for Sudan? Yeah. And uh, and brought us here and God, he brought us here for brought him here for purpose. And I want you to tell I want you to hear a little bit from Majid. Majid, tell us a little about about yourself and your family. Uh, My name is Majid, apparently. Uh, <laughs> uh, my family originally came from Egypt, like the grandfather from my father's side, but my mother came from Egypt, and I was born in Sudan. And uh, my family was a Coptic Orthodox. It's a bit more of a traditional, like the Catholic, very close to the Catholic. But it's centered in Egypt, like the, their patriarch or the pope is in Egypt. So I grow uh, not knowing much about the gospel. But then when I was a teenager, I started listening uh, to Transworld Radio. It's a Christian program that's broadcasted all over the world. So many languages. So many languages. So... At the same time, I was in the university studying, and I, I read some books against, written by some Muslim scholars against the Bible and Christian faith. 
And somehow God miraculously used those two, presenting the gospel and being confused about the questions that Muslims give about the faith. So that's how I came to know the Lord. I, I'm trying to make it shorter. So I came to know the Lord, and uh, I was about 20 years old. In two years, God called me to ministry. I was uh, working with an organization called Operation Mobilization. I don't know if you heard about it, but uh, it has a lot of outreach. It takes short-term missions. Uh, many young people, some are also from America, they go and reach out to people, different groups. Uh, they use literature, they use media, the Jesus movie, different ways, even some humanitarian help to reach out to people in North Sudan and South Sudan. It was one country then. <clears throat> but gradually God led me more to work specifically with Muslims. And it was not an easy journey because... Sorry, I'm giving you my back. <laughs> uh, it was not an easy journey. The reason was because I had some bad experiences with Muslims. God had to work in me. As I say that, I felt more like Sarah, not my wife. Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And uh, she, she was talking in, in ways that she doesn't even use the name, you know. Send the slave and her son away. They will not inherit with my son. That was my attitude. But God had to change it to become more like Abraham. May Ishmael live before you. That's what he asked God. So gradually God worked in me and I started with my wife, Sarah. She's, she's the engine of the work She's a woman of prayer, and I'm really blessed by her. Can you stand up so they can see yes. you? Yes, yes. Come on, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> so we started working in this direction, and she opened the house. She worked very hard, opened the house to many Muslim converts, and we started a house church. We didn't know that it was a house church at that time. But somehow, somebody, a missionary told us, you, you have planted a church. <laughs> but things started to get difficult, and uh, security came into the situation. The church was scattered, and we were threatened a number of times. Anyway, we had to leave, too. And we ended up in Omaha. It's too cold. Why? What, what brought us here? <laughs> From 115 degrees most of the year. We know the zero to be the zero of the Celsius. Now it goes below the zero of Fahrenheit. <laughs> but God had a purpose. For years we were, I was in Walmart, Hy-Vee, driving school bus, and we were wondering, is it that it? Sarah always, you know, she has also a gift of prophecy. Is that it? We work and eat and raise our kids? Is that it? Always when I feel a bit comfortable, she, she gives me something to help me seek God more and find my way. Yeah. yeah, but sometimes as men, you know, we want to hear from God since we are the head of the house, right? 
But God many times choose to speak through the wife. Come on, ladies. Come on. <laughs> so God also used us at that time in these 20 years to kind of help some missionaries and some local workers, Sudanese local workers, how to work with Muslims, how to understand the culture of Islam, how to... So when we ended up here, as I said, there was a period of time, it was quite long. We were waiting, but God is good. He opened the way. There are so many Muslims in this city and in Nebraska. Somebody said that Nebraska in the last years, yeah, was it Omaha? Omaha, in the last year, took uh, the biggest per capita percentage of immigrants from Syria than any other city in the States. Hmm. They, of course, the population is not very big, but per capita, like percentage-wise, we took a lot. So there are many Syrians, many Iraqis, Arabic speakers. There are some from Egypt, Jordan, and other countries. But also there are Muslims from West Africa. A lot of Muslims from West Africa, from so many countries, I don't know all, them, all of them by name. Maybe Pam will know them by name, one by one. And also there are some from Asia. There are Tajik people from Tajikistan. There are some from Afghanistan, some from Iran. So uh, through interpreting for the Arabic speaker, God opened ways for me to have relationship with a number of them. And... Uh, it's a great opportunity to help and come closer to them because then they will listen to the gospel because there are so many barriers. They won't come to a church. They will never put on a Christian radio unless God does something miraculous. But they will listen and open up when somebody come close and help. Yeah. Imagine that leads me to my next question is what can we do or tell us how we can get involved uh, with good news for Ishmael? If you, don't, if you know how to make tea, you can help. <laughs> if you are living in a house or an apartment, you can help. If you have a driver license and you are 21 or above, you can help. Uh, people need to get rides for hospitals. People need to know how to relate to their kids in America without falling in problems with the law or getting something illegal or doing something illegal. People need to mentoring, like parents need mentoring, how to help their kids in education. Uh, the teenagers need mentors in single moms or single dads' homes. They need help. Uh, we need help with phone calls to the Health and Human Service. Why did you cut the help from this family? Oh, because they didn't submit their uh, review or the report they had to do about their income. And they don't know. So maybe a phone call, you can help a family. Mm -hmm. uh, take somebody driving. Help somebody to pay a bill, utility bill. Not necessarily pay for him, just Show him how to do it. Hmm. So there are so many, so many, so many ways. Uh, and I believe next week we will have kind of lists of the different things we can yeah. get help in. Yeah. Imagine now we're talking throughout the year we're going to do some, some outreaches uh, with the Muslims in our community, uh, especially around the holidays. 
So those of you who are, you know, think your American holidays are sacred, we're just going to blow that out of the water because we want to be good news for all people. Somebody say amen. 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 I love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas, but I love the nations to see them worshiping Jesus. And so we're going to give you opportunities to get involved in that. Um, Majid, you are gold. Let me tell you, Majid is the guy that trained Dick Brogdon how to reach Muslims. And God sent Majid here to do the same for us. Can we say thank you? God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. All right. Let's do this. Let's go. Good news for Ishmael. And uh, next week we'll have tables set up. We'll have a big go link. And one of those tables will be good news for Ishmael. And you can get involved. One gentleman came up to Majid after service. And uh, he said, I'm an attorney. Here's my business card. See, God has, has, you think you need to preach the gospel. You think you need to have a degree in theology. No, you don't. You need a degree in exactly what you have a degree in. God doesn't need more vocational religious people. He needs you. He needs you. He needs you with your gifts and skills and your, your vocational talents and, and your life experiences to, to reach the nations living right here in Omaha. He needs you. He doesn't need another Walt. Somebody say, amen. Please, God, amen. Right? We just don't need another Walt. We certainly don't need another Raphael. Come on. You know. I mean, Lord, deliver us. All right. Honestly, though, what has God put within your hands? What skill do you have? Some of you are so talented. It just, it's unbelievable, you know. And one day, all of us, each one of us is going to stand before God and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And you say, well, you know, I never went to Bible school and I never learned how to preach. And so there's nothing really I could do to advance the kingdom. And he's going to say, who told you that? Did Pastor Walt tell you that? No, he said that, you know, I can use my gifts and skills and vocational experiences to advance the kingdom. Come on, church. God's looking for people. He's saying, who will go for us? And I want to be Isaiah. Here am I, send me. Excited, excited. Um, What's it going to take? Worship team, if you'd come as we wrap this service up. Somebody say passion. Passion. Um, Passion's a very important word. And a lot of times we use it to describe romance or pizza or something like that. Um, but passion, uh, comes from the, the Latin root word to suffer, to suffer. In other words, passion is what you hunger for so intensely that you will sacrifice and you will suffer everything to have it. What are you passion, passionate about? Are you passionate about the worship of Jesus among the nations? Floyd McClung, he came up with this word called apostolic passion. The word apostle means sent one or messenger. And he says that a person with apostolic passion is a person who is deliberate and intentional to live for the worship of Jesus among the nations. And Floyd McClung says this, if you have apostolic passion, you are one of the most dangerous people on the face of the earth. The world no longer rules your heart. You are no longer seduced by getting and gaining, but you're devoted to live as a pilgrim, unattached to the cares of this world. You're not afraid of loss. 
You even dare to believe that you may be given the privilege of dying to spread his fame on the earth. The father's passions have become your passions. You find your satisfaction and your significance in him. You believe he is he is with you always, even to the end of life itself. You are sold out to God and you live for the lamb. Satan fears you and the angels applaud you. Your greatest dream is that his name will be praised in languages never before heard in heaven. If you can say that's you, you are a person with apostolic passion. God is looking for men and women of every generation, of every race, of every color, of every of every people group. He's looking for people with passion. And he's saying, will you go for us? Never mind how they respond. That's not your responsibility, whether they worship me or not. But will you worship me in your going? Who will go for us? Who will go for us? And I want to be Isaiah. I want to say, God, here am I, send me. If that's in your heart today, stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. I want to ask God, make us make it clear, God, where each one of us is to go. God, we pray right now that you give each one of us over the next few weeks as we're fasting and we're praying about going. God, show us what team we're to be part of, what opportunity we're to jump into. God, show us the opportunities all around us for us to go. God, I thank you for all of the gifts and the skills and vocational degrees that are represented here. God, we we put them before you. I want you to take your hands and and hold them before you like you're, you're trying to cup some water. I want you to imagine all that God has put within you is within your hands right now. Think about your life experience, the the hurts you've been through and the honors you've received and and all of it and the degrees that you have and the skills and the giftings. And I want you to hold them in your hand and say, God, these these are for you, for your glory. God, use them, God. Use them, God, for the worship of your name among the nations. God, help me, God, to invest these gifts and these callings wisely. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. And we say, like Isaiah say, said, God, here am I. Send me. Send me, God. Some of you are here today and, and you've had a vision of, a, of God high and lifted up. You've, you've like Isaiah, you, you've kind of seen God this morning. You've experienced him this morning. Maybe throughout the week, God's just been getting your attention. And, and you realize that he's the king and that he's holy and he's holy and he's holy. You realize that you're a person of unclean lips. It means you're sinful. You're not holy, but God is holy. You realize your sin has separated you from God. And you need God to cleanse you like he cleansed Isaiah. You need God to cancel out your debt. You need God to forgive you. You need him to be your savior today. The Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on his name right now. Call out his name, Jesus, if you need to be saved. If you're a person, you know you're unclean, you're sinful, separated. Call unto Jesus, 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 Savior, Lord, forgive me. Take my life. Use it for your kingdom, for your glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've forgiven us today. You've cleansed us today. Why? To send us today. To send us today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And God, we pray that the days ahead...
would be greater than the days behind us. In that name of Jesus. God, accomplish your kingdom. Bring your kingdom, God. Bring it through glad tidings. Send us. Send us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.